that I was involved in was going through famine. Uh, it wasn't a permanent state, blessing. Did you know that blessing is not a permanent state from the Lord? Some people would teach that it is. That we go from strength to strength, from blessing to blessing, from one lot of abundance to another lot of abundance, but that's not true. That's not what the scriptures teach. That's what we would like. Now you say, well, you better give me some examples, Phil, if you say the scripture doesn't teach that. Okay, let's do that. Consider Job. He's the most ancient of all the people we can read about in the Bible. Do you know what it says about Job? It says he was blameless. He was upright. He feared God, and he shunned evil. That's good, isn't it? Nothing bad about him there. He was the greatest and the richest man on the earth at that time. But as you read on in Job, you discover he lost everything. So being blameless and upright and fearing God and being righteous didn't bring success into his life. He lost everything. Then, as we read on, we find that God restores everything that he lost. So his life was like this. And went down. And rose again. Can I suggest to you, he learned more about God in the poverty than he did the riches. In the poverty, he cried out to his God and said something like, God, I don't understand you or what you're doing. I thought you were like this. But I discover something different now. Nebuchadnezzar, he's my second example. You say, well, he wasn't, he wasn't a good man. He was a Babylonian king. But he did show mercy to the people of God. It describes him in the scriptures in Daniel as contented and prosperous. Now, I mean prosperous. He was so prosperous, it was unbelievable. But at God's hand, Nebuchadnezzar lost everything. Can I say at God's hand, he lost everything. He lost everything because God had purpose in him losing everything. It says he went insane. It says he ate grass like a cow in the field. He lived in the fields like a wild animal. His hair grew like the feathers of an eagle, it says. I see some people on television today, they got hair like feathers of an eagle. I think, I think that must be a modern style. I don't get it. I was taught to comb my hair. But that's not the way today. But I don't think it meant that. And he had nails like the claws of a bird. See what a depraved state that man got into. 
the richest man in the world at that time. He was like that for seven years. Do you know what it says? His honor and splendor were returned to him by God. <coughs> See? Up and down to come up again. Then I thought of Joseph. We all know the life of Joseph. Here's Joseph. He's the favorite of his father's house. He's spoiled. He wears clothes that they don't, the others don't wear. They seem to be working hard where he was given an easy ride. That's what you infer from the scripture. He's sold into slavery. So he's up here and he's coming down now. He's sold into slavery. But in slavery, he works in Potiphar's house to see himself rising again to a high position. But then Potiphar's wife seeks to seduce him and he has none of it. And from that position, he's thrown into prison. So he's down again. 15 years in prison. Long time. Long time out of a man's life. Eventually, he's brought out of prison because he can interpret dreams, or rather, God can interpret them through him. And he has a place in the world then, number two, to the most powerful man in the world. See, it's not permanent prosperity. It's up and down. And it's up and down. And Paul himself, the Apostle Paul, can I remind you what he says in Philippians 4? Philippians 4, 10 to 13, he says, I rejoice, Paul speaking, I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you have renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you've been concerned, but you have no opportunity to show it. I am not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. There's a secret in this, you see. Whether it's up or down, in God makes no difference. You're going through hard times? Praise the Lord. You're going through good times? Praise the Lord. You're going through health? Praise the Lord. You're going through sickness? Praise the Lord. Amen? Amen. That's it. So no more pulling faces. No more complaining. Just praise the Lord. Do what Paul said. I've learned to be content. Whatever the circumstances are in my life, I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. You see, there's no permanent state. Paul's life went up and down, up and down. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or want. Listen to what he says now, this last bit. This is really important. I can do everything through Christ through him, rather, Christ, who gives me strength. He is saying, when I am at my weakest, I am then at my strongest. Praise the Lord for difficult times. Praise the Lord when you lose that job. Praise the Lord when you haven't got sufficient money to pay all your bills. Praise the Lord in every circumstance. Because in that place of weakness, then I am strong. Can I suggest to you that actually weakness is the very thing 
that brings us true strength. See, we can have plenty and be strong and be healthy, but our, we, we rely on what we have then. It isn't true. It isn't true strength. But when we have nothing and we rely solely on the Lord, that is true strength. Surely. In 2 Corinthians 12 and 9, he says this. For my power, for my power, Paul speaking, is made perfect in strength. No, no. It's made perfect in weakness. I don't know if this is an uphill sermon, is it? You see, we can flow the way of the world and think the way of the world and absorb all the way the world talks. But when we get into the scripture, it actually says the opposite. It says quite the contrary. Or you can attend a church that speaks about prosperity and blessing and victory and triumph every step of the way, only to know that in reality, if you talk to the members of the congregation, that's not true. If you talk to the preachers yourself, that's not true. They think if they can speak positive and say positive, positive will come. That's not true. God takes us into deep places. Isn't that what the 23rd Psalm says? He leaves me beside still waters. Oh, praise the Lord for still waters. But in a few lines he's saying, he takes me down into the valley. You go, well, I don't want to go into the valley. Can't we say, well, the still water? He goes, no, no, no. See, the still water's the high point, and the valley is the low point. But even in the valley, he prepares a table before you in the presence of the enemies. So it's not a permanent state. So the psalmist knew that. Can I say this morning that although we've been saved as individuals, we have a personal salvation, a a personal relationship with God, He gathers us together into families, churches, local assemblies, local fellowships. We don't do this Christian thing alone. You can't be a Christian alone. You can't. You can be a believer on your own, but you can't be a Christian on your own. Because Christians live in a certain way, and the way that God has ordained that we do it is we do it in fellowship with other Christians, in relationship with a body of believers. As a local church, then, we move together. Can I encourage you, when you pray, if you pray out in the church, can you pray corporately and not as an individual? So if you pray, say, thank you, Lord, for my blessing, thank you, Lord, that you lead me, thank you, Lord, that you've done everything for me, that's an individual thing. You can pray that at home by the side of your bed. Please do that. But when you come to the body of Christ, you're not recognising the body of Christ. So in our prayers, in our corporate thing together, we do it together. Praying, speaking, singing, reading, testifying. We do it together. Together in our fragile, weak state. See, because there's 50 or 60 of us, it doesn't make us strong. You put 50 or 60 weak, fragile people together, you've just got 50 or 60 fragile, weak people. It doesn't turn into strong people. Now, there's encouragement in coming together, of course. 
but it doesn't make us strong. And you don't want to be strong. To know the closeness and the blessing of God, we want to recognize how fragile and weak we are. Because in our weakness, then we're made strong. I've known a time when this church grew quite sizably. I think at one stage we got to about 150 people. That was quite good. I mean, for a, a local church like this, where we are in the suburbs, we had positive movement forward. The Spirit of God was leading us. Many people were involved in ministry. There were funds in the church to get engaged in various ministries that we wanted to turn our hand to. There seemed to be sufficient funds. Then quite unexpectedly, circumstances changed. Praise the Lord. Amen? Praise the Lord. We can't stay on the mountaintop forever. Praise the Lord. We have to come down into the valley. Because on the mountaintop, we're not dependent on his strength. But in the valley, we need him. So don't stay on the mountaintop for long. Come off the mountaintop. Well, you don't have to come off it. Actually, I'd stay on it forever, being me. But he doesn't let me stay on it forever. He leads me through the valley of the shadow of death. Praise the Lord. Because that's where I find out more about him. So in a short time, we are now struggling to stay together. Did you notice? Yes. We've lost a third of the congregation. I'm not quite sure where they've all gone. Or why they would even go. Do they think it's different somewhere else? Well, it's not. It's not. You go, I know a good church. Hmm, okay. It's just the same. You understand? It's the same. Struggling to stay together. You could say, well, we've lost a bit of momentum. Our leadership has been so attacked, as it were, so fractured, we've, we've lost forward momentum. And we seem to be in the doldrums. We seem to be just not moving forward. That's all right. That's all right. <coughs> Don't panic about it. God's sovereign. He knows. He doesn't love us any more or less when he had us on the mountaintop than in the valley. God can't change his attitude towards us. It's the same yesterday and today and forever. You are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus today, tomorrow and forever. You're not going to move from your position of righteousness because your righteousness is nothing to do with you anyway. It's a gift from God. So you stand in that position. And ministries have waned. Well, of course they've waned. If you lose personnel and you lose money, and money is often associated with personnel, the ministries fall off. That's natural. We're not doing what we used to do, you might say. Of course we're not. We can't. It doesn't mean it's bad. It means we're where God is taking us. Let's draw attention now to a scripture. It's in Mark. It's a, an incident that happened in the life of Jesus. It's Mark chapter 4. 
chapter 4 appears to be a day in the life of Jesus. So I'll just read to you the first couple of verses, then we'll jump along and then we'll come to the main scripture, which will be towards the end of the chapter. It says, And again Jesus began to teach by the lake. That's the Sea of Galilee or, or the Lake of Gethsemane. The crowd that gathered around him was so large that he got into a boat and he sat in it out on the lake while all the people were along the shore at the water's edge. So we get the picture. He's standing on the shore. All the fishermen have finished their fishing, I suppose, from the previous night and they're gathered there. Of course, it's Jesus, so lots of other people have come in from the fields. So many people and they're pressing and pressing on him that he thinks, I better get into a boat or I'll be standing in, to my waist in water. So he gets in one of the disciples' boats and, of course, he preaches then to the people on the shore. A typical, a typical scene in Jesus' day. And so he begins to teach them. He teaches them in parables. He teaches them. He said, listen, a farmer went out to sow seed. So he starts there. And then down in verse uh, 21, he finishes that story, that parable. I don't know how long he would have taken to explain it and to deal with it, but sometime, it's not as quick as you read it here. Don't worry, people don't tell stories like that. They go on a little bit, like preachers, okay? And then in verse 21, he said to them, so he's got another parable, uh, do you bring a lamp? So he goes on to another parable. Then in verse 26, he goes on to another parable that day. He also said, this is what the kingdom of God is like. And then in verse 30, again he said, what shall we say if the kingdom of God is like? So he's got a whole day. It might have been, I don't know, morning and afternoon. It could have been just from midday all afternoon. But he is preaching, preaching, preaching to the people. Wouldn't it be good to hear Jesus preach? Good. I think it would have been smashing. We might get a privilege of doing that one day when we live with him eternally. He might say, do you want to hear one of my sermons? I go, yeah, no, yeah, preach it to us. Let's hear what it sounds like. So he preaches to them all day. And then at the end of the day, he says this in 35, we've got to read this together. That day, that same day, when evening came, he said to his disciples, let us go over to the other side, leaving the crowd behind him. They took him along just as he was in the boat. So just, we'll just go. Don't get out of the boat, Jesus. We'll just go to the other side, like you say. There were also other boats with him. A furious squall or tempest, really, that word is tempest. It's like an earthquake when it says about this squall. I looked it up what it means. I mean, it's ferocious. It's, this is a life and death thing. You don't want to be in a boat on a lake when this is happening. It's not just a storm, I tell you. It's a lot more than that. Okay. And the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? Natural reaction, I would have thought. That's what I would have done, I think. He got up, he rebuked the wind and said to the waves, quiet, be still. Then the wind died down and it was completely calm. He said to his disciples, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? They were terrified and asked each other, who is this? Even the winds and the waves 
obey him. One minute, they are listening to the greatest preacher of all time. A man who spoke and no one else spoke like him. He was amazing. You would hang on every word that he said. It was though he spoke with such authority and clarity and power. Could you imagine them listening to him that afternoon? From parable to parable to parable, I must have thought, whoa, this is the most wonderful place to be. We could stay here forever. This is most certainly like a top experience to me. And in the matter of maybe an hour, they're in perilous waters fighting for their life. Isn't it good? <laughs> See? On the mountain top, now they're crashing in the valley. And Jesus was in both places. They're in the valley. This church, hope, is sailing through perilous waters. It is. We feel it. All those things I spoke about, that's perilous for a church. Congregation depleting. Leadership decimated. Funds not there. Do you know we're in debt as a church? That's not good, is it? We mustn't get into debt. Well, we can't get into debt, actually. We're a charity. But we're not able to pay our bills. And this isn't a big pressure on you. I'm just telling you the facts, because that's my job. We can't pay the rent on this building. We haven't got sufficient funds. They probably can't pay for the one person of staff we have. There isn't sufficient funds. Because for months, the amount of money has dropped and dropped and dropped. Maybe because some of those people who gave quite a lot have, have left us. And now we're feeling the pressure on us that we can't pay the bills. We won't not pay bills. We're not allowed to, like I said. We just shut things down, remove staff, think of how we can get through this in some positive way. It feels like Jesus is asleep. <laughs> and we're all going down. Now, I know the leadership don't worry you with this all the time, but that's a reality. And lots of churches suffer this. See, they don't always live on the mountaintop. Sometimes they're in the valley. But whether you're on the mountaintop or in the valley, whether you're listening to him preaching or you're in the midst of a terrible storm, Jesus is there. This gospel is all about Jesus. It's not about us. Did you realize that? This gospel is about Jesus. It's what Jesus did. It's what Jesus can do. It's what Jesus does in the midst of this situation. So I'm not going to tell you to do anything. Go home and rob your piggy banks and empty your bank accounts and pour the money into the church. No, no, no. That's a bit like these disciples getting a bucket 
and they're trying to get the water out, and the waves are going over the ship and swamping it. The bucket's no good. Do you know what we need to do when it gets as bad as this? We need to wake Jesus up. He wasn't sleeping because he didn't care. He was still teaching. <laughs> he was still teaching. He wasn't teaching with his mouth now. He was teaching through experience. The only way out of this storm, Hope Community Church, is Jesus. I don't know what Jesus will tell you to do. But you better start asking him. Because if not, we might drown. See, if they didn't wake Jesus up, he might have kept sleeping. <coughs> Did you ever think of that? So they shook him. You go, how do we talk to Jesus? Oh, you know how to do that. I've heard some of you do it this morning. You just pour out your heart to him. You say, this church that I'm a part of, Lord, unless you wake up and show us what to do and lead us through the situation, we're all going to drown. We're all going to drown. You'll sound like these people on the boat, won't you? We're going to drown. Don't you care that we drown? Of course he cared. Of course he cares. This is Jesus. He cares for you. He cares for me. You know when Jesus said to them, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? You know, before when I've read that, I've interpreted that Jesus was rebuking them for their lack of faith. I don't believe that for one minute. He knew what to rebuke. He rebuked the spirit behind the storm that was causing the trouble. He rebuked that and it calmed down. He never rebuked his disciples for a lack of faith. Can I put it in my own words what I think he was saying? He was saying something like this. I know your faith has to grow a bit more, guys. Do you really think I would have let you down? He said, you did the right thing in waking me up, by the way. Because you could never have saved yourself. See, he planned it that way. He planned it that way. That unless we call on the name of the Lord, we're going to drown. Now, it isn't coming up with a smart strategy that saves us. It's calling on the name of the Lord. He said, I would never have left you or forsaken you. I can't do that because I'm faithful. I'm faithful. And your dependence on me and your faith in me to deliver you is the only way. There's only one way out of a mess. And his name is Jesus. You were going to hell without a shadow of a doubt. 
In God's sight, you're vile. You are disgusting in his sight. But Jesus came and reversed everything. And because of what Jesus did, God gifted you with righteousness. So you're in right standing before God now. Because you put faith in Jesus Christ. And Jesus started by saving you, and he will carry on saving you until you see him face to face. Oh, we think we can do it, don't we? We think we can do it. We think we're smart enough and clever enough and resourceful enough and we can come up with strategies and plans. No, we can't. We're stupid. We're weak and fragile. Now, God needs to give us a strategy or simply deliver us. He didn't give them a strategy how to empty the boat of water, did he? He just went right to the source of the problem and froze it. And calm came. I believe that years later the disciples look back on that day. Now I'll put it to you. Do you think they remembered his teaching or the storm? <laughs> I think they probably forgot the teaching. I love preaching and teaching, but I'm not stupid. I know unless you experience the things that I talk about, you'll forget every word I've ever said. That's it. Because teaching without the experience is head knowledge. But teaching with the experience, it becomes heart revelation. They might have remembered his sermons because he was such a good preacher. And they might have heard him many times. But that day, what they remembered was what he taught them in the storm. What did he teach them in the storm? More than what words could have said. He taught them that the gospel wasn't simply words, but it's a power and action. He taught them how much Jesus cared for them. That's what he taught them. He taught them that he was their deliverer. That was a valuable lesson to learn. We were dead. We were dead if it wasn't for Jesus. He taught them to call on his name. Call on his name. Wake him up. He might be asleep. Call on his name. He taught them they were in a battle. Because when he rebuked the force behind the storm, they saw what the root cause of the problem was. It wasn't the wind. It was the spirit that drove the wind. And he dealt with it. I would suggest they learned more that evening in that boat in 10 minutes than they learned all day. Thank God for the storm. Amen? Amen. Praise God for the storms of life. Praise God for the valley experiences. But it doesn't last forever. It's a long night and then morning comes.
Morning always comes with Jesus. How do we weather the storm hope is in now? How do we weather this storm? Put your buckets down for a start. Don't scratch your heads and wonder how you can sort it out. Don't do that. Turn to Jesus and ask him to deliver us. He wants you to do that. His name is Saviour. So by nature, he's only happy when he's saving you. The chaos that has stopped us from moving forward. (coughs) Say, Lord, help us. Please, Lord, bind us together so we don't lose more people. Please, bind us together, Lord. Some people will always have to move on. I understand that. I'm not being critical. We'll move on in time, but not because we've got the ump or we're going to find something better down the road because there ain't nothing better down the road, I'll tell you now. There's not. And those that God has joined you to, that's the best place to be anyway. Some people leave church and they wander for years, never finding one, because they should never have left. Bind us together. Help us, Lord, to be one in this crisis. We don't want to criticize one another and we don't want to find faults with one another. We don't want to blame anyone. We want to pull together. Lord, restore our finances so we can pay our bills. If there's a strategy, Lord, and you've got to show it to us, we'll show it to us. But if not, fine, we'll just look to you and expect you to deliver us. Lord, help us to start moving forward again. That boat wasn't going anywhere in the storm. It was going wherever the storm threw it. But as soon as there was calm, they could start moving to the other side again. There has to be calm, you see. Lord, fill our hearts again with your joy. If the joy is gone, if the joy is gone, get it back. The joy of the Lord is your strength. If your faith is waning, use this opportunity for your faith to grow. You must have something to get your teeth into when it comes to faith. And Lord, supply those ministries that we need again in this church so that we might live for your glory. That we might be glorious. That we might shine forth the glory of God in this place where you've joined us together. Amen. Amen. Let me pray with you then, church, this morning. This church is as much my church as it's your church. If you don't believe that after this morning's sermon, you'll never believe me. Heavenly Father, we do. We love you, Father, so much. We thank you for saving us individually. And we thank you for gathering us together as a local expression of the body of Christ in this place. (coughs) We thank you in times past for your great blessing and abundance that we've enjoyed. But as we go through a difficult time, Lord, we're the same people who are looking to you 
to restore the things that were stolen, the things that were taken away. Lord, just as you did in the case of Joseph and Job and Paul and Nebuchadnezzar, all of these great saints, these people, Lord, who you involved yourself with in their lives. Lord, we're looking to you. Lord, we're saying, wake up, Jesus. That's not rude. We're just following scripture. Wake up, Jesus, please. Because unless you come and deliver us, we might all drown. And we don't want to be neglectful in crying out to you and say, wake up, Jesus. Wake up, Jesus. Wake up, Jesus. And help us. You're our saviour. We're not looking to anything else. We're not looking to man or the intellect of man. We're looking to you, Jesus, our saviour. Come. Bring peace, Lord. Speak to those forces that are arrayed against us. And rejoice, Lord. Return to us the joy and the rejoicing in our hearts again. Father, we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 God bless you all. Amen. That was a good word, wasn't it? We've heard the message. Let's experience the message. Let's go over to the other side. Amen. Looking for... Gavin, is he here? Oh, there he is. Gavin with the guitar. And Archie. Thank you. You got a song for us? <coughs> Let's rejoice in our salvation. Have a good week, and refreshments will be served afterwards. God bless you. <coughs>